Namaste and welcome to the Wednesday 10 p.m. show. And today we are going to discuss about the world economy. And we have uh, Shri Vijay Sardana with us and as always Shri Vibhuti Jha. Welcome Mr. Sardana. Sardana is uh, an economist as well as a senior advocate and a business consultant. Uh, so many hats uh, within the ring. Vijayji, there is a lot of concern about uh, the global economy going bust. And especially the future of globalization is uh, supposed to be very bleak. Is it a good thing for globalization to end? Uh, good evening. First of all, uh, Sanjayji, Vibhutiji and all the viewers of this uh, great show around the world, uh, my namaste to all of you. All of you. Thank you. Uh, Sanjay, it's a very interesting question. Uh, let's look back and uh, think about why this whole issue of so-called globalization emerged and what were the drivers for it. And the bigger challenge, if I say that uh, the biggest issue of globalization, or I'll say that uh, achievement was creation of WTO. Because we, after Second World War, we have GATS, then we had a lot of international conventions, a lot of agreements, a lot of treaties, whole lot of things. And ultimately, there was a convergence of all of them into, if one way or the other, if you look into, it was like overarching focus was on World Trade Organization, which we say is a Guntel Dunkel draft, uh, draft agreements, and which were signed, and then all things came into existence from 2000 onwards. Now, if you look back very carefully, why this WTO was agreement was signed, and what was the criteria or parameters of those agreements, I can bet today. If you renegotiate the same language and same formula and same criteria of WTO agreements, I can bet there will never be a consensus. Why it was able to or why it was possible at that time, because please appreciate at that time there was no internet. Okay. In <laughs> because people were having very limited knowledge of what is happening around the world, the calculations, the information, the database, everything was like under the carpet or cooked up by some so-called experts. And it was conversed with a whole bogey of that prosperity and welfare of the human mankind and environment and overall prosperity the passage or the destination of welfare is via trade. This was the slogan which was sold to all developing and underdeveloped world by Western powers, mainly Europe and America. And why it was done? Because they realized it that their population is stagnant. They have to continue to harvest the resources Unless there is something called free trade agreement at a global level, it will be impossible for them to go and talk to every individual country for their trade interest. And after like typical, 
you know belt and road agenda of china that they started signing with whole lot of country now one by one they all are bursting and situation is becoming complex if there was an internet and if they go one by one to all of them to sell wto after 5 years the rewinding would have started like today in the case of belt and road agenda why i am saying this many of your uh, viewers must be thinking that i am talking something which is uh, illogical or unsubstantiated let me tell you that from the year 2000 till 2008 before the lehman brother crisis i was running a center for international trade in agriculture and agro based industries as a founder director with honorable at that time our agriculture minister mr sharad pawar when we signed wto but we were not ready as a nation to understand the implications and industry was far away even the bureaucracy was not clear what we had signed so one of the way was looking at is one side understand and read these agreements in detail and communicate to different stakeholders of economy and also do capacity building of policy planners and when you go into detail of all of them even today i am teaching in management colleges international trade law and wto so what i'm trying to tell you is that if you go into detail it looks like that we signed a agreement which most of the developing nations and underdeveloped country cannot meet those requirements and because okay. it was a package deal because it was a package deal either you take all or you leave all it was not that ki it is wrong i will not go with this but i'll go with that the fact of the matter is it was just a rosy picture which was presented and everybody you know fall for it and the problem was the countries those who were not having capability a very interesting line was added in virtually every agreement technical assistance that word will help you in building capability sir you know what was the name of technical assistance the consultants were hired at huge cost by the western world wto world bank imf the same western consultants those who had no ground level experience of developing world they were coming giving lecture pocketing millions of dollars in the name of consultancy writing some nice report which is nothing to do with ground reality and giving it to them that this is your future destiny follow this you will be great and they went back in the name of technical assistance they got those reports never got any money so that is what was happening no investments in infrastructure no investments in managerial development no infrastructure development quality control systems no capacity building of the institution in these countries it was just doing seminars conferences people who are coming enjoying in five star having nice back and charging hefty consulting fee that was technical assistance so it was i can bet today if people feel what i'm saying is wrong renegotiate wto today and see what is going to be the outcome <laughs> okay that's 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 a fine challenge that you've thrown and of course you were heading a group in uh, agriculture and agro services and uh, i think one thing that india had done was that uh, it had 
kept certain buffers, at least in agriculture and agro services. Do those buffers still stand or what is the status today? See, uh, we have to appreciate one thing that uh, one big agenda which was sold to every country was once you sign WTO, you all will have a access to world market. Most of the country thought exporting means something great and we can export. That was the initial selling <laughs> proposition. Sir, first of all, for exports, you should have raw material to export. Then you should have a capability to create a product which are sellable in those markets where you have to sell. Now, my point is how many commodities India has which you can export? Think of very carefully. You have 1.4 billion population. You are 70% importer of edible oil. You are shortage in protein. Only thing which you have surplus is carbohydrate, which is wheat, rice and maize and sugar. The cost of production of all of these things, you have to compete against the hefty subsidy in the Western world. And now the formula is such that because they have taken it, that's what I'm saying. Why this is becoming difficult because the reference year which was taken in WTO was those years at and those years when the subsidy was the highest. So if I say I will reduce the subsidy by suppose 50%, you are highest, you are only reducing 50%. And I was not giving subsidy. I'm not entitled to give subsidy because reference point is that year. So it was a very cleverly worded because people, those who were drafting, they knew in advance it is like an insider trading. You know, I knew how it is going to unfold. So I put all my houses and my subsidy, my policy, my domestic, all those game plan to suit my agenda because the rest of the world was ignorant. We thought it is a simple, plain game. What WTO says, if you read the preamble, it will create faith fair and equitable opportunity for everyone by providing free and fair market. Sir, what is free and fair market? Your non-tariff barriers, your subsidies, your whole lot of distortions, your legal requirements, are they free? Point is that as far as fairness is concerned, then why you are giving subsidy? No, we will give subsidy. And the worst scenario, is the game which I will request all your uh, viewers to think very carefully. We were told we had outdated technology. We have to upgrade the technology so that we can compete in the world market. Sir, the maximum agriculture commodity where you have the maximum technological intervention is cotton, corn and soybean. Where you have maximum technology whether it is genetic technology, whether it is processing technology, whether it is weather forecasting, disease, you name it. These are the sectors where you have maximum technology intervention. And you know the beauty? These three sectors attract maximum subsidy. It okay. means <laughs> technology never makes you self-sustaining on commercial terms. If these technologies were so great, why America is giving subsidy to these three sectors. And nobody is answering this question when I ask this question on any international forum that if technology is so good, 
you are adopting best of the technologies in cotton, soybean, and corn, then why your subsidy bill is highest in these three categories? And there is no answer to it. Okay. So, so I, I was just asking why, because in WTO, the Cape pressurizing us to reduce subsidy uh, on uh, and uh, on our agricultural produce. And they also keep uh, pressurizing us uh, to reduce our export subsidy. And uh, I think we've also lost some cases in the WTO forum on this. What is that uh, exactly? See, uh, you're right. That's what I'm saying. We have to look at languages the way it is classified and created. Point is that you can give subsidy up to 10%, de minimis, whatever they call it. Now, idea is that we are talking of a country of India size. If my country is poor and they cannot afford market rate, government of India has to subsidize whether you call it FCI or PDS or whatever you call it. Food security is prime thing. But mathematically, you are overshooting that limit because it is crossing your 10%. Obviously, when my country is in a country where I have a 30% poverty, I have to feed them. My population is huge. So I have to spend more money to feed my population to maintain my food security buffers. They are saying, no, you are crossing the limit. So what my point is that it means around the world, it was created in such a manner that you are more interested in trade than in the name of welfare and humanity. So you cannot give subsidy, even if your people are dying with hunger and they cannot afford food. So what? Let them buy at market price. Is it logical? Is it possible? That is one aspect. Second, all these developed countries, their agriculture population of the farmer is hardly two to three or four percent or five percent of the total population engaged in agriculture. In India, it is 60 percent and that too for sustenance agriculture. It is a livelihood. It is not for trade because land holding is less than a hectare. In that case, if I have to give financial support to them for sustaining, they say, no, you are exceeding the limit. So that is what I'm saying today. If you go for renegotiation of agreement on agriculture, I can bet nobody's going to sign it. <laughs> okay, Vibhuti ji. <laughs> this is a... This is a fascinating subject. I was a student of international economics and international trade in Gokhale Institute in India, <clears throat> where Professor Dandekar and Professor Neil Kantrath taught us this subject matter. So, as somebody who came to the US to, to market India's liberalization program, I was really enjoying Vijayji's opening statement because he said quite a few very, very important things. Uh, one of them is he virtually used my phrase as his words knowing what we know now. So technology and communication, because of these two reasons, what we know about WTO, if we sat down to renegotiate it, we'll never have it again. Right, sir? Is that correct? correct? Exactly. Absolutely. So we, we also know now that these are all the Western tools to impose their will in a language that they write that is not our language. So the rest of the world has to follow English. 
and English is difficult to follow by rest of the country, rest of the countries. So there you it's, get. It's difficult to follow even English by the Americans and the British. You yes. will lose the cases because we do not know how to fight them. <laughs> they have imposed their conditions on us according to their thing. But important part here to realize is trade will always happen. Trade will always dominate. The theory of comparative advantage will always play. That will always happen. The question is, to whose advantage does it play to? And today, what we know now, that the multilateral trade organizations, you know, IMF, WTO, and all that crap that is there, we are now realizing that the rest of the world recognizes now that they are the losers of this whole deal. Look at climate change as an example. The way it is being forced upon us is a new globalization tool to control the rest of the world. And that's what is important for us to figure it out. And here is the question. Now we are talking about so many, so many other trade organizations and alliances are being formed. For example, we are living in a multipolar world uh, where there is a concert happening between China, United States, Russia, EU, India. Everybody is trying to pull its own thing. And America is to be blamed for that. Because every single American politician, president down the line, will always talk about, we are doing this for America, it's exceptionalism, and American people. And I have questioned this philosophy, that if you are doing everything for American people, why shouldn't India do for Indians? Why not Chinese do for Chinese? Why not Russia do for Russians? So that is what we are looking at. Globalization is changing. Do you think, uh, uh, Vijayji, that, that uh, climate change is a new tool for control and domination. Eventually, that's the name of the game in international geopolitics. Absolutely. Just Absolutely. a minute. Before, bef yeah. before Vijayji responds, uh, may I request the audience to please shoot your questions to shoot your questions to Vijayji. We'll be taking the questions uh, at the end of this. Yes, please, Vijayji. See, if you look at what are the factors of climate change, we look at the greenhouse gases, so-called the pollution, the carbon footprint, and a whole lot of things. I'm asking one single point to all your audience and including yourself. Have you ever seen any index, any data where people say what which country is doing the highest pollution per capita basis? America we are giving no, no, but you will not find any ranking. What they will give you. Total country, India is producing so much, China is producing so much, everything is so much. But when it comes to per capita, they will tell you poverty per capita. They will tell you other things in per capita. When it comes to pollution, they will never talk about per capita. Have you ever seen documentation? You will not, number one. I'll give you another example. We talk about climate change and we talk about water footprint. You know, use of water is one of the important factors of climate change. We talk about, we blame, for example, palm oil. We blame paddy cultivation in India that it is water guzzler. And what is the water guzzling for uh, paddy? 2000 liters for 1 kg of rice. 1600 kgs for 1 liter of palm oil. I'm giving you another interesting example, sir. And find out and 
do tell me one single ngo or any international forum discussing that one of the most polluting at it, it is un report published in netherlands 1 kg of olive oil consumes 13000 liters of water one of the most polluting from water footprint point of view is olive oil you will never hear a single word about olive oil and its impact on environment in any international forum no ngo is raising this issue not a single article on internet that how olive oil is worse than palm oil and paddy why are we saying that people in the world don't understand comparison it's very easy to jump and say india is polluting india is going for sugarcane india is going for paddy it is all bad stop cultivating so that others can trade and export to india so we have to understand that the news items even through the ngos even through the so called environmental ngos it is a game it is a chess game where you have to play very very carefully so my request first of all when you are talking of climate change read those parameters very carefully that what is projected in which unit whether it is for the country or it is per capita that will define because it is very easy to present by saying that india is polluting so much what america is doing what rest of the europe is doing what china is doing and in per capita basis india is much cleaner number 1 number 2 when it comes to recycling sir the fact of the matter is you go to any garbage in india any garbage dump area you will not find anything which has a commercial value in garbage area everything is recycled india is the country which is doing maximum recycling up to 60% word is talking about 2% 3% 5% maximum 10% without law without legislations we are already doing 60% recycling no appreciation for it it is blamed that we should learn waste management solid waste management etc etc so what i am trying to say is that this word is basically pick and choose people will throw the parameters which suits them especially western world because it is a psychological problem and uh, i will request uh, all your audiences please go to youtube and i have a video which i my presentation in kuala lumpur which is of 32 or 38 minutes which is on role of environmental ngos just type that palm tv and i have given with facts and figures that how the whole dynamics is manipulated to show that western world is superior in everything and rest of the world is inferior and today there is a fight to continue to hit back to on developing economies that you are responsible for poverty you are responsible for malnutrition now the same developing world is also responsible for climate change and pollution the fact of the matter is our per capita electricity consumption is one of the least our coal consumption is one of the least 
our petrol consumption is one of the least on per capita basis and still we are the problem of the reason for the problem of climate change so what i'm trying to say is that this is a classic classic way and another bogey of the whole argument is please look back into human development index read those parameters all of those parameters of human development index actually leads to climate change problems because all are energy intensive all are leading to pollution all are leading to creating of greenhouse gases still you are talking of that those countries in human development index which are on higher side they consume maximum energy but still they are not source of the problem and we are asking the rest of the world to ape them to copy their development model and go for climate you know address the climate change by consuming more power more wasteful energy more avoidable energy because that will make you in rank higher so i think this is a very peculiar scenario when you put different indexes together it looks like this is all going like a mockery of the whole system just because few ideologies and few ngos supported by donors pushing a certain agenda so that their dominance in the world politics in the world diplomacy continues and rest of the developing economies and developing or underdeveloped economies continue to feel inferior in front of the western world aapne pehle kaha tha you had said earlier uh, just with just a in interesting statistic one interesting statistic i have is that uh, beef requires yes. about 15000 yes liters of water per kg for beef yes and milk requires uh, less than 1000 <laughs> india is mainly milk based and yet we have people here who are trying to promote beef export um that's one interesting statistic and the lowest lowest per kg water required is for tea it's less than 100 <laughs> yes vibhuti no i was saying uh, uh, vijay ji had made a very interesting observation between the buffer states and the duffer states you know like so, in the entire globalization the you know the, the western powers have imposed their will on others it's same back to the psychological challenge of domination and control that's what is being played thanks to technology we are getting to know of all these things and i will definitely look your uh, look your speech up the question again that arises aapne index ki baat ki thi about the human development index the last week we had a conversation here that on many indexes that the west create we are measured against that index i am saying india as a country must reject the western indexes and establish our own my question to you sir is that why do we not what prevents us from doing that so you know we know this for example there was a news today that russia has demanded alaska back because the terms and conditions of selling the alaska thing has been uh, violated nobody knows about it the western media controls what we have to know so the story lines are very important and we have to create our own thing so i would want you to tell us more about 
the issues that are the part of the global domination. That's very important here because it's all about domination and control. And there is another interesting saying that it has always been the alliance of democracies versus the axis of authoritarianism or autocracies. That is happening. So it is, you can see Biden going to Saudi Arabia, pariah nation, he wanted to deal with him. We, we are understanding that now. Where do we go from here? Sir, it's a very, very uh, interesting uh, point which you have raised. Let me tell you how the dynamics happen. And this I've elaborated in my video, okay, how the whole dynamics works. See, my way of looking at is there is a narration which is set out in somewhere there is a dark room or I'll say war room or war zone or whatever you call it. it there is a narration which is created. Okay, how for the next 10 to 15 years, we have to continue to dominate. And there are various options which are evaluated, whether it is militarily, whether it is social dimensions, whether it is environmental dimensions, because all are well-planned, highly lubricated economy. We have to look at very, very nicely in this game. Then what happens? Because I have witnessed them very closely and interacted with many of the key people in various international forums. I'm telling you this, nothing like suddenly it happens. No, it is all well-oiled game plan. Now, suppose America wants to push a narrative of climate change and suddenly you want to say that solar energy is bad for environment. Let's take a hypothetical scenario. Suddenly you realize that because you go to internet and you what you will find very interesting thing. Solar uh, wind power is bad because it disturbs the birds migration route. There's another NGO which is working on wind power. Nuclear power anyway banned. Hydropower again banned. Coal power is banned. Solar energy is also, you go and see some of the sites. Solar energy is also bad. So what is left now? Fuel, uh, fossil fuel, anyway bad. So coal bad, fossil fuel bad, wind power bad, nuclear bad, solar bad, everything, hydropower is bad. All six options are bad. Then how you will run the economy? We have to think seriously. Who is funding what? If everything is so bad, I always say that all these six NGOs you put together in a room. Okay, now you come out with an energy plan for the world. Because you are saying this is bad. The other one is saying that is bad. And we have to churn out the you know industrial production, GDP, employment, everything. You all sit together in a room and come out with this should be the template for the world. We will follow. You will never come to a conclusion except the fact. Why? Because in every agenda, there is a sponsoring agency. There is an agency which says this year flavor of the month is we have to target maybe water consumption or suddenly you will find a new term methane production, greenhouse gases, some interesting hi-fi English jargon with some prefix and suffix will emerge. That will happen. What will happen then? There will be a seminar. Because see, everything involves money. Please understand this game. Your argument why India is not able to create index, I'll tell you very clearly. Tomorrow, I'm going to attend a conference of World Food Index. And there's a meeting and launch of the report in Delhi. What I'm trying to say is that, so you have decided, I have to now hit at methane production in India because we have one side paddy production and second side is animal. 
both are known for methane if we discourage methane production and link it to dairy and link it to paddy cultivation there will be some ngos in india they are looking for fund and they will continue to make noise so there is a funding which is coming from in the name of philanthropics there are funding which are behind the scene suppose there is a usa development you will organize few seminars in india why milk production is bad why india should reduce the population of cows why india should reduce the paddy production agenda is that even if india reduces 10% of paddy production india's competitiveness or surplus for the world market will reduce by 10% or at least 20% it means for other countries it will open up the markets nothing is free here in this world is everything is a game plan so how to keep india away from the market start criticizing india's practices and then you start educating india's buyers of paddy or basmati or milk or other product you are buying your crop from a polluting country it is bad for climate change now what is interesting sir i give you another live example india is the largest importer of palm because we have shortage of palm oil indonesia malaysia is selling palm now india is blamed because india is buying palm that is why malaysia and indonesia is growing palm oil hence they are culprit because they are uprooting the trees but india is responsible because you are buying it means india should stop buying palm very good narration isn't it it looks very logical point is that edible oil is a essential ingredient in indian kitchen so if you will stop buying palm then what you will buy you will buy soybean oil who is the seller america brazil argentina so point is that how to kill the market and how to defame the competition so that you open up your market these all are tricks now you will find suddenly 20 ngos working in india stop palm there will be articles there will be ngos articles there will be consumer activist article palm is bad few doctors will write that palm is bad for health palm is this bad suddenly after reading 20 articles as a consumer you will start behaving as if you are one of the worst person in the life in the world consuming palm oil and destroying the world you are actually responsible as a consumer for the problems of the world without understanding that it is a business game plan and you are in the trap of that communication activity and majority of consumers will don't go into detail don't have capability to decipher these jargons and analysis as i said that lot of articles against palm not a single article against olive oil which is almost eight times more polluting so point here fact of the matter is that what your point coming back to with this background sir india can create a index but the problem is where is the money to communicate to the wider world this is the right index and this is the comparison minute i go to any of uh, sanjay ji's friend those who are in bureaucracy or the political leadership this we don't have money why to waste on all these things they don't realize this is a part of a bigger strategy so what we have to understand is we need people we need think tanks 
those who understand these are which what you say not one is the front end diplomacy then there is a track to diplomacy similarly these are also tools of the trade to encourage and discourage your commercial interest in the name of ngos in the name of climate change i'm not saying climate change is a hoax it is a reality but fact of the matter is who is responsible who is creating this problem those villains are behind the scene actually those villains are sponsoring these ngos you go and make noise that india is responsible or brazil is responsible or indonesia is responsible we are not responsible and the ngos are very very honest in their approach they only speak his master's voice whoever give them sponsorship they will narrate the same story repeatedly because they are paid to make that noise do we have that money to create a noise as a counter narrative if we don't have money to do that then we will continue with the narrative which is projected by the sponsors that's the name of the game that's the name of the game the question arises again on the top exact topic of globalization issue the trade is one part which is everybody wants to increase their products trade and the buffers are created and duffers fall for it too i will borrow your statement very frequently so we are from your statement it would seem that we indians are duffers we are falling into the trap don't we don't build our own narrative but there is another question which is very important which is related to globalization part of it which has happened due to ukraine scenario that you know here i have been telling americans who say that your country is encouraging russia by buying its oil and i my answer to them is very simple i is that well it is is a classic market opportunity and if we are getting russian oil at a lower price why shouldn't we protect our own industries and our own way of life having said that de-dollarization has become a new tool emerging tool now de-dollarization do you think that de-dollarization which is happening now and which must happen uh, rupee is accepted many places now will be the real realignment in globalization sir this is a uh, very important issue let me uh, before i move to this answer let me add up some statistics for benefit of your members and for the viewers i was just looking into the data europe european union unions energy dependency yes okay crude oil import dependency of europe is almost 27% on russia yes okay 9% on iraq 8% on nigeria 8% on saudi arabia like this coal import we all talk about coal is bad for environment europe depends almost 47% of coal import from russia and then almost 18% from us it's not that they have stopped using coal or polluting economy natural gas europe depends on um, russia almost 41% for their energy requirement my point here comes up is when you are talking of russian narrative on the ukraine crisis is it possible for europe to shift away from almost 50% dependency on energy across the platform gas crude and coal on russia 
can they abandon everything because the next best option is far below and very far it is not economically sensible my forecasting is and i wish i am wrong europe is heading for disaster because of sheer energy crisis the more they will create problem for russia more they will create problem for themselves that is one second if that happens the whole crisis of dollarization which you are talking of globalization and dollar economy sir the whole concept of wto was go with competitive advantage so that best player gets the market share here russia in the case of europe is best supplier for crude best supplier for coal and best supplier for natural gas to europe ideally this is what is happening before ukraine that was the true globalization between europe and russia now by putting economic restrictions and embargoes on russia are you favoring globalization number 1 it means you are forcing other countries also to abandon the concept of globalization and follow what we are saying so globalization is moving away and entering into politicalization of globe it means if i followed globalization from last 20 years and increased or developed my supply chain to countries which are most efficient suddenly because somebody is putting a restriction on dollar trade and you know swift account closing and other things and forcing me to move away from the most efficient to inefficient suppliers is it globalization number 1 are you helping climate change because i always say one thing very simple to the western world and the dominant of the so called advocacy of the globalization and climate change the shortest route of international flight is always expensive than the longer route so if i generate less pollution in air travel i have to pay more if i take a longer route flight it is cheaper so is this economic model is logical one side you are saying reduce the carbon footprint in air travel but i will charge more what is the logic just because it is a convenience so convenience overtakes then the logic of climate change and pollution ultimately it is a commercial interest which overtakes not the climatic reasons not the pollution not the carbon footprint so this is another agenda which is camouflaging the logic behind everything number 1 number 2 what russia has given the world a very interesting thing and i was doing this analysis when the currency devaluation was taking place around the world we have seen there is a massive reduction in currency russia gave a very interesting thing that before i will say that uh, uh ukraine crisis the russian dollar russian uh, ruble ruble dollar was something about 57 after sanction it went up to all the way to 138 now it has come down to almost 52 or 56 what this indicates and this happened when russia said i will give you material provided you pay me in ruble nobody ever thought this can happen 
and tomorrow if every country says that i have a surplus for example people are asking india to supply wheat okay i'll give you wheat pay me in rupee i'll give you milk pay me in rupee i'll give you something whatever you want pay me in rupee if every country starts doing that it will be a fascinating world and what will happen if this is the way i will not be surprised tomorrow people will go back to ancient civilization and we start doing barter trade that okay you give me oil <laughs> i give you it and the remaining we will settle in some local currency or a currency which is i have surplus and you need it so dollarization of the economy will be history may not be soon because we don't have any power otherwise if i look at the brics countries suppose and this is because i was part of the brics forums and formulas eight nine years in various committees on agriculture and others imagine if brics countries tomorrow russia china india brazil south africa decides that within us we will create a new currency it is almost 40% of the trade it is almost i will say that 50% or 40% of the world population and we have all the raw material inside point here comes up is if we are not logical i will not be surprised that countries will start creating as part of the free trade agreement a clause on currency that why if i am doing a free trade agreement between india and uk why should deal in dollar if i am doing a free trade agreement between europe and india why i should deal in dollar if china is negotiating asean free trade treaty with 10 countries of asian why we should deal in dollar so it's very likelihood that countries will come out with creativity and i think government of india is doing it sensibly that if you are giving a line of credit to sri lanka accept rupee we will give it to nepal accept rupee bhutan accept indian rupee bangladesh accept indian rupee at least we have captured south asia which is almost something about 2 billion population so what i am trying to say here is that out of 8 if 2 billion population 25% of the world is handling rupee why i need dollar and then similarly if china and asean countries which is almost 30 or 35% of the world trade which is happening in that dimension if they create their own asean currency what will happen to dollar so what i'm trying to say is that world is learning from many experiences russia ukraine is one example globalization is unreliable you cannot depend on globalization agenda because of distortion in supply chain we have seen because of ukraine either war and then economic sanctions i will not be surprised wait for another 2 3 months there is a new front which will open is south china sea how it is going to unfold will be much more damaging because all the trade routes are from there so one has to look at lot of things are likely to unfold so year 2023 22 and 23 will see a new world order including currency dimensions a new world order that's really interesting uh, and uh, just for my consumption what happens if uh, 
as you said that okay if it, uh, countries create their own currency blocks then uh, this globalization is dead and uh, what happens if by 2030 this entire oil dependency goes down and countries start asking that uh, we will buy only in our currency or as you said that we can create free trade blocks and deal in each other's currency how will that scenario unfold sir what you are saying is not very far i am very clear from the day one of wto show me one country we are talking of world trade trade means there has to be somebody buyer and there has to be somebody who is selling it show me one country in the world which says our government plan and investment is not to increase the productivity and production show me one country it means the global market is actually shrinking not expanding atnirbhar bharat self reliance in china america is talking of self reliance europe is talking of self reliance africa is investing in technology and development what is the whole approach of development in the world that create more factories improve technology increase the productivity that is the whole thing of development so when everybody is improving production and productivity so market is shrinking or increasing one has to think that way so actually the commodity markets are shrinking which is almost 40 50% of the world trade that's one aspect second which is important for us to look at it the technology transfer which is not in ship loads it can be via internet i can give you a technology i can give you a formula i can give you a process or i can fly down and create a process in your factory you pay for my intellectual property and i will hand it over to you that is where the trade will move so research and innovation is the dimension where the trade will move that is one another interesting dimension we have to look at is that if around the world trade is shrinking the conflicts will increase and that is precisely what is happening in wto ministerial meetings why there is no consensus why india is saying we will not accept board is saying and it says okay let's give concession talk for two more years we will not listen to your food security nonsense because for me as a india my poverty and my farmers are more important to address them instead of following the trap of wto and whatever definition you created in 1994 or 84 we don't care the word says okay now are you saying these conflicts will reduce no these conflicts will increase number one number two the most important aspect you said is energy crisis or energy alternate energies we created i always say that you know world needs a access of global diplomacy so far in last 50 years the crude was access of global diplomacy or global relations who can give me crude who can give me energy i am very sure in next 15 years you remember sir we mentioned in our qatar episode that after 15 years the way alternate technologies are evolving i don't see a future for crude unless in a very limited area and hopefully there will be other options as well what will happen then world will need 
an alternate axis of global diplomacy. It has to revolve around something else. It cannot happen. Everybody will sit at home and relax. I don't need to go anywhere because I'm self-sufficient and everybody says I'm self-sufficient. Why should I talk to America? Why should I talk to China? So there is going to be something else. We are human beings. We will not be satisfied with satisfaction. So we will be having something else. Whether it is going to be water, whether it is going to be like COVID, we are talking about vaccines, whether it is going to be something else more vital, because crude was vital, it was an essential ingredient of development. If that is there is an alternate to that essential ingredient for development, then what is going to be the next element around which the world will revolve? This will be very interesting in the next 10 to 15 years. So what we have to look at is that's what I'm saying. There's going to be a new world order. There will be a new axis around which the world will happen. And my concern and my hope is that in all this crisis, I can see a bright spot for India. India will emerge stronger for two simple reasons. One, we have a huge domestic market. Number two, India is still highly underdeveloped compared to many of the developed and saturated market. So we will have another 50 years to grow. And number three, we are highly adaptable because our cultural systems, our value systems are very different, starting from vegetarian to whatever dimension you look at it. And fourth dimension is our one of the most diversified agroclimatic conditions in the world. Another country where we have to have a very close relation to meet the deficiencies is Russia because Russia has the largest landmass in the world as a nation and they have all the possible raw material or natural resources which India may need. So what I'm trying to say is that I'm looking into an entirely different world down the line 15 years. Many will try to resist it because it is not going to satisfy their current diplomatic and economic interest. But I'm seeing something very different and what you raised a very fundamental issue that minute India becomes independent or little less dependent on imported crude and we have surplus cash flow by saving from imported crude, India will have a very different growth path and word will come back to India. And today, after all the crisis of Ukraine and everywhere, and I'm being a, work, working very closely with the financial markets, I'm also advisor to SEBI. My reading is there is no better place to do investments other than India. We have a huge population, unsaturated market, huge opportunities. We have intellectual capabilities. Infrastructure is building. Connectivity is improving. PLI scheme. Our government thankfully started realizing that economic power will bring global power to India. So political leadership is becoming sensible to focus on more on economy and less on politics because more you focus on economics, your global stature will go up. So all these are factors which are in positive towards India. The only problem is our so-called sometimes irresponsible politics. We try to derail the speed of growth and then we have some law and order challenges because of some fictitious sponsored agitations, protests to delay the growth of India. That's, uh, let's end on that bright note and go to the questions.